Aren't we fortunate to have Bill Sullivan? <laughs> what a great blessing God has given this church in the way that Bill just carries an amazing load and he does it better than I would ever do. <laughs> better than I ever did when I used to. <laughs> Thank God. As I sought the Lord in prayer this week for what he wanted me to deliver today, he gave a message that in many ways is not one I would choose. Satan has come against me emotionally as I have sought to think about what we're to say today. But in obedience to God, we'll bring it forth. This morning I'm going to talk a lot about experience and speak very frankly, and I hope nobody's offended because I believe this is what God would have me say. We're in a war. The church is in a war and under attack, and it's just as real as what the Ukrainians are facing under the attack of the Romans, of the Russians. <laughs> uh, we're under attack. Satan is doing all that he can to bring down the church, especially the church in America. Of course, one way is just a very frontal attack that is seen in culture. This past, Constantly, week after week after week, there's something that illustrates how Satan is using culture to come against God, to come against his church, to come against God's standards. This past week, two things that hit the news were the firing of Coach Joe Kennedy. Here's a man who was an 18-year Marine veteran, and then he became a football coach, very dedicated to God, and he committed to the Lord that after every football game, he would pray for his players. And so after the, each game, he would kneel upon the field silently praying. Bremerton High School in Bremerton, Washington, fired him because he was seen praying. And the devil says, whoopee, we got another one. His case is to be held, uh, be aired by the Supreme Court sometime in April. And then in Florida last week, the governor signed a law that said it would be banned, that banned the instruction of gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade classrooms. Uh, governor, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed it this week. Disney Corporation, of all things, came against that, contributed billions of dollars to the group that is going to do its best to get that law undone. And not only that, here's, here's what one of the Disney executives admitted, this wrote themselves. In a recent company meeting about that law, Carrie Burke, president of Disney's general entertainment content, said, It is Disney's intention to feature many, many, many lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual characters in its films and programs by the end of the year, she said, half, half of Disney's characters should be either LGBTQIA. Wonder what Walt Disney would think about this corporation 
I remember, I'm the mouse, they call the Mickey Mouse. I've got a girlfriend down by the chicky house. You remember that song? Of course, I'm older than you are. <laughs> that was 1930s. But you know how different this corporation that was a wonderful, wonderful, family-friendly entertainment venue has now come against the standards of God. I read recently one article about by a man who was uh, talking about the phallic thing. We should worship the phallus and how the Christianity has come against that and we need to oppose the church. Culture has become a weapon of Satan against the church. It's a frontal attack. But in addition to that frontal attack, Satan is trying to do an internal attack. Here's the picture that God wants us to have in our relationship with one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26, a rather lengthy section, but it talks about the fact that in the church, we have many different things. The eye doesn't say the foot, I don't need you, and the foot to the arm, so on. We all, all organs need each other, and we are all that in the church. We are interdependent. And before we've spoken about the word koine, which we translate fellowship, which means mutual exchange of life. And recall, some of you have heard me illustrate that by the lungs and the heart. The heart pumps the blood. If the heart doesn't pump the blood, the, the lungs die. If the lungs don't oxygenate the blood, the heart dies. Mutual, And that's the, what the word kononia means. And whenever we're together, the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in you, there's some kind of an interchange that takes place. And so this lengthy passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26, close, enters, ends this way, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all members suffered with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. What a beautiful picture. Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. Our hearts may be encouraged, having been built together in love. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 and 14, therefore encourage one another, Build up one another, just as you also are doing. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, but encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all men. And in order for us to fully experience this, we have to be together. We have to be together. The book of Hebrews exhorts, let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering. He who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as a matter of some is. But exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
For if we sin willfully, after we come to a knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacri uh, sacrifice, but only the fearful judgment of God. In other words, it says the devil is always out there seeking to entice us, seeking to catch us blind, a trap for us. But as we come together and encourage one another, we gain insight and we gain the strength to live that life. You know, I believe that this church is truly an example of the relationship that God intends to exist between the members of Christ's body. There is real love in this church. When I first came to TCF, February 1st, 1981, I had a problem because folks went around hugging each other. Now, I grew up in a culture in which only if you're a man and you hug, you're a sissy. Not only that, a man would never hug a woman. And there's one dear sister, a matriarch of the church, rebuked me because I didn't hug her. Mmm, my goodness. Today, I thank God for the hugs in this church. I thank God for the hugs in this church. I think we need to rejoice as a body with thanks. This is nothing any of us have created. God has given us this wonderful, beautiful gift in this church. But in his war against the church, Satan will do everything he can to bring about division and cause us to be offended and alienation from one another. Some of you have heard my tell this skunk story, but I'll tell it again because this is where God really began to make this truth apparent to me. The years uh, when I was at Bel Air Christian and involved in Sunset Bible Camp, summertime was a horribly busy time. As a preacher, you taught Sunday school, adult class, then preached ran home, grabbed a quick lunch, came back to the church building. Several families were there with cars, gathered up a whole bunch of kids and hauled them off to church camp, got everybody in dorms and settled, rushed back to town, preached another sermon, and then went back to camp for the week, leaving there till Saturday noon. One year I had been so terribly busy, I had not had time to give a single thought to a Sunday night sermon. <laughs> And as I was driving back to Tulsa, passing Coweta, still no sermon. Oh, God, what am I supposed to do tonight? Broken air about an hour away. God, what am I supposed to do tonight? Suddenly, the aroma of a skunk flooded the car. Skunk? God said, that's your sermon. Every time you smell that odor, you know there's a skunk somewhere. And any time you see division in a family... You see division in a church, in a society, the devil's present. That's his odor. And it's a sad thing that we see that odor so often in our churches. Paul wrote this, but whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ in order, 
in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And I'll tell you one thing. He has all kinds of schemes that he uses to bring division. Paul wrote to 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that as we read it earlier, there should be no division in the body. The members should have the same care for one another. And from his prison cell in Rome, Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. I therefore, the prison of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then Peter, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, he's relentless. And we need to be fully aware of his efforts. And so this morning I do believe that God would have me address some of the weapons that Satan uses to bring about division in the body, division in families, division period. One thing I believe is childhood experiences. Some years ago I was counseling with a family I will not say any names, so I'll not be breaking any confidence. This family was divided. Much of the division grew out of a conflict between the daughter and her mother and folks tending to take sides. I was sitting counseling the daughter, who was about 30, maybe 40 at the time. And in the midst of that session, suddenly God gave me a vision. And I saw a little girl in a closet with the door closed and it was dark and she was weeping profusely. And I stopped and said, I just had a vision. And I recited that vision. And this woman, as I recall, began to weep and said, I was that little girl. I was that little girl. And as we began to piece things together, one day she was trying to approach her mother and her mother was putting her off. She didn't know her mother was going through pre-labor pains. And her mother went off to the hospital to give birth to her little brother. She felt rejected. She felt abandoned, devalued. And she went in the closet and closed the door and sat in the dark and sobbed and so we were able to talk about over the years how that has caused her to denigrate her mother and ridicule her mother today that woman and daughter <laughs> are so beautifully close together I thank God for that healing but I think all of us from time to time as we are having problems with race relationships with people, 
maybe need to stop and think back over the years. I know the stories of many of you, and some of you had horrible childhoods. How many of the problems and difficulties and stresses you have in life today are the carryover from what you went through as a child? You know, God can heal that. God can heal that. Don't let the devil use the past to cause you to have alienation today. Another one is just pure emotion. Now, I've been a preacher of the gospel now for 70 years. And over the years, as ministers would get together to meet and talk about struggles we're having in our church, one thing that kind of became common is to describe the music department as the war department of the church because musicians are very emotional. I can say that, you know. I, my first instrument was a ukulele. I was about five or six years old. Then I became, uh, I was in a harmonica band when I was in the third grade, played in different concerts. I began to play the ocarina, which is a, a South American instrument. Most of you don't even know what that is. Somebody called it a sweet potato because that's kind of the way it's shaped. Began playing the clarinet when I was 10 years old. Briefly played the saxophone, didn't really care for that, too easy to play. I took piano in my junior and high school year in college, used to play the piano. Remember one thing, I still love the song, Franz Litz, Frolicher Lahnmann. I love the way the left hand danced and the right hand provided the bass <laughs> for it. Throughout the years, I've been a song leader. I've, I've led choirs. I've sung in choirs. I've led songs in congregational meetings, songs in revival meetings. For years, I sang a solo every Sunday. I understand musicians because I've lived with them. <laughs> I've been in school bands. I've been in city orchestras. I've been in professional marching groups. I've lived in the midst of musicians. One thing about many musicians, not all, but many, is they're very emotional. And that emotion is almost important. It's a gift that makes them as good as they are in what they do, but it also makes them very vulnerable. Three of the major divisions that we had in this church happened among the musicians. One of the first was in the early 1980s. Now, originally, well, actually, there was no congregational singing until Luther. Luther thought a good way to teach doctrine was have people sing it. That way it would be inculcated into them. So congregational singing was introduced by Luther. And so, you'd, you know, his church would start with an opening song and a prayer, and then maybe a congregational song and then responsive reading, a prayer song, communion, and so on, then a closing, an invitation song for people to come forward and to be immersed into Christ. But And that's the way it was at TCF until the early 1980s. And there was a man who wrote a book called The Restoring the Tabernacle of David. He really did a poor exegetical work of Acts 15, but the idea, remember... There was the tabernacle that God had commanded where the sacrifices were being made and so on, and that was going on. But David also put up another tent where night and day people were singing and reciting psalms. And so 
The idea of that movement was that that tent that David built is what the church ought to be. And so, and I won't say how this person was brought here. I know how, but there was a person brought here. We had a choir. We had a choir director. We had a, a pianist that was outstanding. It used to do concerts. And the song leader was her husband. A beautiful, beautiful setup. This man was brought in six foot seven, big guy. He was a part of the church from Oregon. He was a part of the uh, admissions at ORU. And somebody had heard him lead a song service. I know who it was, I'll not say. And they brought him to introduce. And so one Sunday he was going to lead, and other Sunday the other person would lead back and forth. Finally, this began to dominate and finally got to thinking half an hour. And in resentment, the choir leader left. The whole choir left, the pianist left, the song leader left, and about 25% of the congregation left. Sad, isn't it? The second one was, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was related to the Toronto blessing. Remember, you remember the quote, quote, Toronto blessing, a false nomer if there ever was one. But according to that, the Holy Spirit fell on people and they began barking like dogs and writhing on the floor like snakes, the kind of thing that most missionaries said, that's demon-possessed, we've got to deliver them. But that infected the worship team. And used to, all the elders sat on the front row. And that one Sunday, some guy jumped up, I know his name, I'll not say it, he started running around the building calling people to follow him. They ran around like crazy. One woman on the worship team shouted the elders, Come on, elders, lead! The elders were leading by not participating in that foolishness. And then she even rebuked Bruce and me for bowing our heads. Can you imagine that? Well, the elders finally had to meet with that group. I remember one of them hardly attacked Gordon strongly. Gordon was deeply wounded by, by some of that. Tried to reason with him. No possibility. They left the church and again took a major segment with them. Pure emotion. All the time musicians sometimes feel like they're so tied in their music. If you reject something, you're rejecting them or whatever. Emotions. Emotions are so strong. Sometimes there are people that just have traits that kind of irk us. I'm sure I have none, but some of you do. <laughs> but here's a saying God gave me that's helped me with that many years ago. Cows moo. Horses whinny. Dogs bark. Jackasses bray. That's just the trait of the beast. And so if you have a trait that irks me, that's just a trait of the beast, you know. <laughs> None to really get upset about. I'm not calling it praying, but anyway, whatever. Another one is that often crops up in the church is rebellion against authority. Some people just don't like to be having any authority in their life. Here's what Hebrews 13:17 urges us: Obey your leaders. Submit to them. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with grief. That would be unprofitable for you. You know, I was just sitting here this morning thinking about how many states the Lord has used me in church work. Uh, probably forgot some. I could think of 15. In most of those states, many of the churches. I've gone to help established churches to ordain elders. I've gone to do teaching. One particular church in New York, Owen Carey and I, completely disbanded the eldership because it really wasn't godly and malfunctioning, and then we spent time and installed a new group of elders. I want to tell you something. Of all the churches I have been in, everywhere, I have never seen a council of elders that exceeds this one. Maybe they equal them, but not concede them, exceed them. When the elders of this church face a decision that's really going to involve the body, sometimes even someone who's being a problem, they approach that knowing that someday they're going to have to stand before God and say, Here's how we handled it. Here's how we handled it. Prayerfully considering it. Seeking the will of God. Nobody is trying to put forth his personal agenda. What a blessing it is to sit in a circle of men like that. And I joyously submit to the elders of this church. I will do what they ask me to do. I will not do what they tell me not to do. One thing, nobody will ever tell me how to preach. If they don't like I'm preaching, just say, stay out of the pulpit. Okay, I'll stay out of the pulpit. <laughs> but I am in submission to these elders because these are the ones whom God has put over the church. Acts chapter 20, Paul called the Ephesian elders to meet with him. And he said to the elders, Shepherd the church of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And then he said, Watch out, because there's some going to arise like wolves, drawing people after them. And the elders had the responsibility to deal with wolves to protect the flock. Brothers and sisters, we're safe with the group of elders we have in this church. And I thank God so much that he has given us this group of men. Nobody in the world, nobody in the church, nobody anywhere has given TCF what we have except God. How blessed we are to have each other. Well, I could continue in this vein for several hours, <laughs> but let us rest here. Again, I want to say I thank God so much that at this stage in my life, he's allowed me to be a part of a church in which the atmosphere is love. Some of you, just to be around you is encouraging. You don't do a cotton-picking thing. It's just who you are. <laughs> and what a blessing that is to encourage, to to exhort. 
Let's be aware of the fact we're in a war. We are in a war. And any time we begin to detect that odor of Satan, let's step back and say, where is it? Where is it? How has he been able to sneak in here and begin to bring a tiny piece of division which is going to grow if we don't do something about it? We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. And my brother and sister, may the blessing of God rest upon each of you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.